You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, lads, how are you? Good morning. Good afternoon, in your case. Uh, yes. <laughs> How's the weather in Vietnam? I, I... Um... So today it is thirty nine degrees and feels like fifty one. You're you're actually joking me, are you? Nope, that is actually what it says on my little weather app at the moment. I don't know what you're doing in this country. There's no <laughs> magic at its fifty degrees. That sounds like the worst possible combination of events. <laughs> yep. He said it's thirty nine degrees. That's that's fine. That's uh. Hmm. I guess. <laughs> yeah. This month. <laughs> this month and next month are gonna be uh gonna be hell. Yeah. Are you going to do that thing when you come back? That um, I don't want to say Americans, but in my in my case, it has been American people have often said uh, if ever I comment on the weather in Ireland being hot, uh, people would say, "Oh, that's not hot. Back home, it's very. Uh, that's this is not. This is mild." Um, then and you, so when you come back here, are you going to tell people that they're incorrect when they say the weather? And you're going to be like, "No, in Vietnam, this is normal. You don't feel hot. <laughs> you're incorrect. Your objective experience of or subjective experience of the world is wrong." <laughs> Yes. Yes, I am going to do that. <laughs> Great. Well, you have to do. You won't, you won't ever have to do that because uh, I think Ireland has skipped summer this year. Oh really? Oh no. We did not have leaving cert weather. Or, or leaving cert weather this year. Yeah, it's been kind of weird. It's pretty nice today, to be fair. The last couple of days have been pretty nice. I got yeah. serious, uh, serious FOMO because Body and Soul Festival was on this weekend, and I saw people start to upload photos yesterday while I was in work, and I was this close to just like impulse buying a ticket and just like taking the bus down to body and soul at the last minute by myself because i was like i just want summer to be here i want to be on a summer thing but i uh, <laughs> i didn't do it i decided to play some magic in instead well boom i'm sure as the summer wears on you'll have plenty of opportunity to indulge it'll probably be a lot more magic but yeah we'll see all right well, that's <laughs> oh, yes. good to me uh and we have a lot of magic to talk about today so the the mythic championship three is going on at the moment so we'll have a little bit of discussion about that and even more excitingly, I guess, <laughs> for some people, uh, for most people, I'd say, the core set uh, 2020 has started to be previewed. So we have a lot of cards from that to talk about. Oh, yes. And uh, oh, and what a core set it has it is shaping up to be. Don't do not do it. They should, call it a, they should call it a more set because oh. there's so much, so many good cards in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the players. That can be the episode title. Yes. Solved. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> that saved me some <laughs> It always helps to get that in early. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> one of the players on the Irish Magic subreddit uh, had the theory that this was supposed to be some kind of a set to to create a new Horizon format along with Modern Horizons because they're so similar. Do you guys think there's any weight to this theory? No. So I oh think my God. What, I, just ha- Go I think this this was a- Eamon Jones saying this on the, on the Facebook page. I think what he meant was like, that was the original idea, but it hasn't turned out that way. Like there were some changes in development. So that's not actually what's happening now, but like the sets are seem to be in some ways linked. So maybe originally they were two parts of the same block or something like that. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think I think that seems what he seems to be what he's suggesting. It, it could make sense to me. Like I did think it was very strange to have Goblin Matron and Goblin Ringleader back-to-back into completely unrelated sets because they're like really iconic Goblins cards that people have been waiting a long time for and 
there has been a decent amount of goblin support in standard over the last year or so so it would have made sense to have all of those as like a really strong goblin deck in standard yeah and then maybe there was just like a, a an internal decision or a series of decisions at watsi to make modern horizons into you know a masters-esque product rather than a standard set because like when you look at modern horizons it's got about the same amount of new cards versus reprints as like a a normal standard set does right um or even more new cards than usual maybe i'm not even sure it's probably about the same no i think i think it has more reprints than a standard set would have but it does have about the same number of reprints that a core set would have right right sorry yeah yeah so that would make sense to me. Like it, it does seem like there was so much more design effort spent on Modern Horizons than like any other Masters product we've seen before. Obviously, the Masters sets before this were all were all reprints or whatever. But if you compare this to like Conspiracy or Battle Bond or whatever, like there, it seems like there was just like a ton more development effort into this. And the fact that they've talked about how they want to make Time Spiral two and stuff like that, like that's just like so much work for you know the the annual supplementary product so i feel like this was this was initially going to be like a more like a like a more prominent product than the, than the annual supplementary set well maybe maybe it could have started yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, as like what eamon said it could it could have started out as uh in, intended for like a new format as like a boost to get that format going like an injection of new cards along with whatever cards are rotating out of standard to create like a standard plus because it is just kind of striking how um that like the goblin like like we say like not it's not just the individual goblin cards it's it's that both sets have a, a goblin sub team in red and stuff like that but ultimately i think the amount of uh different mechanics like the 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 sheer number of mechanics in modern horizons i think kind of puts paid to that idea and like the the amount of specific callbacks to like legacy cards and the high power level, I think, uh, kind of nixes the the theory, but cool theory nonetheless. Yeah, I mean that's all stuff that could have changed during development, though, right? Like as the purpose true. of the set changed. Yeah, true. True. It'd be very cool to see the design file for uh, for this set. I don't know if we'll get to as much of it. We may one day. I mean, I, I did read some stuff about uh, how the set originally came to be, and it was it was a pitch by Mark Rosewater and I think one other. Well, th- this is the story that was told was that it was a pitch by Mark Rosewater and I think one other, one other employee to say like, what if we design a full set just for modern? So I, as far as I know, it was for modern from its inception, but who knows? They're lying. I don't know why, but they're lying. We're going to get to the core of this conspiracy core yeah. set of it, if you will. Oh my God. It's, it's probably not no, worth cons- it. No, right. Conspiracy was two years ago. Sorry. Yes. Conspiracy two. Uh, it's already not worth much there, but I, I just realized I was out drinking heavily last night and uh, in the pub. Uh, I think I was walking home, uh, I read Eamon's theory, and I started typing a very long and convoluted uh, tinfoil hat um, stream of consciousness, kind of like, oh, Horizons is it also. The last set was called Modern Horizons. Horizons is a name given to when the sun, this in biblical mythology, is known as the firmament. Firmament is Latin for firm. Firm means this, and I was basically, I was going through a big sequence like that, where I was going to land on um, this new format being Frontier. Uh, but unfortunately, I did not get there, and this uh, message has been lost to uh, to the world because my phone battery has gone, and it's no longer saved in my draft on Facebook. <laughs> so I think it's up there with the Library of Alexandria in terms of uh, big achievements of mankind lost to the lost in the annals of history. Annals of history. <laughs> I thought you were going on a sort of or slash shitty details feel there about the set. 
what's have you not seen that subreddit no what's our what's the shitty movie details i love movie details and i love jokes over it's uh tell me about tell me about this shitty movie details is like uh it's like it's like in american psycho when christian bale first sees the character he will later he will later murder he uh he gives her a subtle nod this is a subtle nod <laughs> <laughs> yes i love it it's really i love good. it uh i i thought you were going for... oh god i don't i don't I thought you were going for a wood elemental reference there. Yeah, basically it was along those lines, yeah. Well, basically along those lines of, of, of that video. Um, oh, I was going into long... Ah, oh, do I talk about it now? It's too, uh, it's too esoteric. Uh, I won't go into it, but uh, here's here's a great pitch for like for our listeners to go and, and dive into if you want to have a, a deep dive um, into, into conspiracy theories and memes and layers upon layers of memes. Uh, so two things are related. Facebook has banned the term hunk on Facebook. The word hunk, H-O-N-K, is banned from Facebook. And a... Um, a, sub- a satirical subreddit about poorly drawn cartoon frogs trying to make friends has been banned yesterday. Uh, both of these things are connected uh, by uh, alt-right neo-Nazis. Now, I could spend a long time describing this, but I won't. But uh, if you would like to, if you are listeners at home, if you're into uh, esoteric uh, internet culture and memes upon memes upon memes um, and, and the culture wars of the internet, uh, look this up because it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, but I'll, I will leave it there. All right, yeah. Probably. Here's a good, here's a good uh, shitty movie details. In Avengers: Age of Ultron, Captain America attempts to choke Ultron. This is because he is from the 1930s and doesn't understand what a robot is. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we have a lot to talk about today, so should probably move on from shitty movie details and uh, culture wars. <laughs> okay. Yes. Do you guys want to talk about the new cards first, or do you want to talk about Mythic Championship first? Um, I don't know, Mythic Championship, I guess. I haven't watched much of it. I've kind of had it on in the background, but I've really been uh, following too closely. So I don't know how much you guys have gotten to watch either. So day one has only happened at this part. Yeah, so day two. Oh, day nine was on. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. We're all on fire today, lads. This is going to be the episode of the year. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I'm the same here on. I haven't seen much. Uh, I think quite notably, um, someone mentioned that Mythic Championship was on. I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch this at uh, some point over the weekend. And then what I realized it was an arena Mythic Championship. Uh, my interest was was far more um, far more interested. And uh, it's ah, oh, this is the, the coverage is so good compared to Paper Magic. I just, you, you just get to see, I, I I only watched one or two matches, but uh, you just get to see so much information. Uh, you just get to see players just like sideboarding and considering sideboarding. You can actually see them like hovering over cards and thinking, will I bring this in? Will I take this out? Um, but yeah, just the the amount of information we're getting from this format of a tournament is incredible. Yeah, it's really excellent, and you get to see about twice as much magic, I think, as as you do normally as well. Like every round, they're covering two full matches essentially because they're because the matches are just so much faster on arena than on paper. Like in terms of just the mechanics of of going through them, so you just you just get to see like nonstop magic and. It's not like you just see a little, you know, half of a time shifted match and it's sped up or whatever. You just, from what I've seen, you just get to see two full matches every round, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. And to add on to what Al said there about like the sideboarding, I think the sideboarding is, I don't, I don't understand how they decided not to have sideboard, sideboarding for the Mythic Invitational because the sideboarding is so good to watch in this tournament. Because like Al said, you're seeing players hover over things, but you're also seeing their full sideboard and their decisions as they make them. So it actually allows you I've like strongly disagreed with some of the with some of the sideboard decisions and I've been there like shouting at my TV, like, no, don't bring that in or do bring this in. You're making a mistake. And like that's actually making me excited. Whereas you can't really see that in paper magic, you have to kind of guess 
like the the commentators guess what the what the players are bringing in and out and they didn't use that for the mythic invitational they just did this non-sideboard thing so i hope this kind of uh, cements it that the mythic invitational format was really bad and the, that they never bring it back yeah 100 agreed yeah yeah that's I mean, I think everything else about the Invitational was amazing, apart from the actual uh, format of Magic. And yeah, so that, that's, that's what makes this one so good, because it is all that good stuff and taking away the bad stuff, pretty much. Um, with that said, there are still some slightly negative things. So one of the small controversies that happened was related to uh, setting stops and Legion War Boss. So uh, if people don't know what the, the players in the Mythic invitate our mythic championship on arena they're not allowed to use full control uh they're not allowed to hit the control button to momentarily go into full control they are allowed to set stops but not excessively i think they can only set stops once per turn or something like that um and yeah so this you know anyone who's played against legion war boss on arena knows that if you don't have full control on and you only have um a creature kill spell in your hand and that there's no creatures on the board if your opponent plays the legion war boss pre-combat it will automatically skip to resolving the war boss and resolving the war boss's ability at the start of combat so your opponent like you might have a cast down in hand that could have killed the war boss before its trigger but the game automatically skips to the trigger so the opponent will get the goblin where they shouldn't have so to solve this you know to solve this the uh, the, the thing you would have to do is to be in full control all the time but the like the wizards don't want the players to be doing that on stream because it's boring to watch so their workaround is the players if they want to cast legion war boss or wilderness reclamation they have to announce that they're about to do it to their opponent to give their opponent a chance to set a stop which i think is a hilarious workaround uh but i guess it works okay and yeah so this this um has been working so far but late in the tournament it was a, a match with uh, marcio carvalho and uh muffin pie uh, i think that's her name ashley espinoza and she was playing gruel and he was playing esper control and in his hand he had moment of craving and cast down and she cast legion war boss but didn't say anything beforehand and it went straight to combat and the goblin was spawned uh so then the game was stopped and a judge was called over and the judge ruled that so the goblin must attack that turn so it did attack that turn and the judge said that she had to not attack with the goblin for one turn and she was given a warning and that was that was the extent of the of the ruling which i think is pretty bad um considering how in paper that, that should be a game loss in my opinion like there's nothing you can do about it once they have an extra creature on board like that's an advantage for the entire rest of the game right yeah exactly and like the like it, it the the another annoying thing about it is that like the game the game has its own internal timer so that judge call has to be resolved really quickly decisions have to be made and so the decision was made and yeah the the, the judge it was also kind of weird from the judge because you could hear what the judge was saying to the players and the judge didn't seem to understand that the he said okay don't attack with the goblin for one turn and the players were like, well, no, the goblin has to attack this turn. And he didn't seem to understand that for a few moments. And then he said, okay, well, just don't attack next turn. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know, very strange. Uh, like, it's it's weird because in paper, you know, that would just be backed up. If a player tried to go war boss, trigger, combat, or combat trigger, uh, attack you with the goblin, the ju- you would just call the judge. And 
and then the judge would say, okay, back up to before the trigger, and now you have a chance to cast your removal spell if you want. But obviously that physically can't happen in Arena. You can't reverse the game. So what do you do at that point? The the game is ir- irreversibly kind of broken in a way, I guess. Not broken, but yeah. Uh, so it's it's a tough decision. And yeah, the judge did not issue a game loss, only a warning. And I don't know, it brought up the question in my mind of if you're that player, do you concede? I don't think you do. I mean, it's the stakes are so high at this tournament. That's why we have judges, right? You accept the judge's decision. So yeah, if the judge doesn't give you a game loss, you don't get a game loss. I don't think you have any kind of responsibility to concede or anything in that spot at the highest level of, of competition. Like sure. If that happened, um, if I was playing an FNM, say there's some kind of FNM arena tournament, I don't know, and that happened, then yeah, I probably beat. But if I'm playing like a competitive or a professional REL event, uh, it's going to go with whatever the judge tells me. And as the opponent, even if I was unhappy with the ruling, I would go with whatever the judge told me also. So. Mm. And it, it is important to say that it was a game or a match that was deciding uh, day two. So the players were, were the, like day two was on the line for both players. Yeah, like, so they were talking about this on the Pro Points podcast last week, right? The the Legion War Boss thing. And they knew that far ahead of time because Paolo talks about how they would have to announce to their opponent they were casting it and all that stuff, right? So the players should have all known about this. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're pros. And actually, I'm not sure, is she a streamer? Or, or I, I, I'm not familiar with her, but she's one of the, the, the additional like invitees or whatever, right, to the tournament. Yeah, she's, I'm pretty sure she's a streamer. I don't really know her. But like from watching yeah. the clip, I think it's very clear that she she didn't mean it. Like there was no maliciousness to it. I'm pretty sure she just forgot. Yeah, but I mean, that's, but like if there was maliciousness to it, then it's cheating and she'd get disqualified. So that doesn't figure in what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, but like just because, but like, but I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt in terms of, I know, like I heard Pello and, and the guys talk about this on the Pro Points podcast, but they're pros and they're probably a lot more clued into the intricacies and probably spent more time maybe looking at the rule set just because they're more to playing these high stakes tournaments and made, you know what I mean? So it's it's very possible that she was less familiar with with this than they were. Although at the same time, if she registered a deck with Legion Warboss in it, then the judges should have been extremely clear and the tournament organizers should have gone out of their way to tell her that you had to do this after she had registered the card in her deck in my opinion so but i'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt on that one um but i just think like like ordinarily like in paper magic i would never really argue for a game loss for a penalty like that um but like just because in this case it puts the game in like as you said a just broken state that's unfixable and like a one one and one damage is like it's, it's about as trivial as you can get, right, in terms of the board state. I'm not saying it's like it's it's a, an insurmountable advantage, but just the fact that it's a specific scenario that was called out ahead of time for the players, I, I feel like it should have been a game lost. Yeah, I feel like because it's such a because it's such a strange rule um, and such a strange thing to do to announce, you know, basically to, to lean over to the monitor and say to your opponents, "I'm going to cast this now. Uh, set your stop if you want." Uh, it, it's that is such a strange thing that I feel like. Yeah, I, I feel like this yeah, game loss probably is the neatest uh, way to deal with it. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, ideally, they would they could have been maybe in the same communication when they told players uh, about this rule. Ideally, they could have said back then, here, if you break this rule, you have to have a game loss. There's no other way for us to deal with it. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. And obviously, game loss, the game loss wasn't figured to be the response to this situation. Uh, but I think because the situation is so strange, that game loss, the game, game loss would be the only way to deal with it. Yeah, that, that seems strange to me uh, that they wouldn't have specified 
a penalty for that when it was specified that that's a thing that you need to do. That's a great point. And I just think it's it's so strange. Like, do they even have, because I know some people, people were speculating that maybe the guy who was judging, who gave the ruling, wasn't actually a judge or wasn't a real judge. Because, like, why would they even need to have judges on hand for an arena tournament? I, I'm sure they do. And I'm sure he was a real judge. I don't want to disparage. But, um, yeah, it just seems kind of strange. Like, <laughs> you don't envision judges being necessary for an arena tournament. No, and this is, like, the fault here is with Wizards, right? Because this is a known thing. People have been talking about it for quite a while. And it's something they should have fixed before this tournament, honestly. Like, this is this is... It seems to me like this should be a pretty trivial fix. Like you just add a case in the code where it's like, if the card Legion War Boss is on the stack automatically and it resolves automatically give the opposing player a stop, even if they didn't set one, right? In that phase. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just a little edge case you can write into the code. And like, it's it's obviously talking about other people's code and all that is like kind of a dangerous game to get into because you never know how it's written. But to me, it's like, however the code base is written, that should be what I'm thinking. Um, so I, I think this is on Wizards to have fixed this before the tournament. I think it's a really bad look for them that they didn't. I don't think it's the player's fault that this happened. I don't think it was malicious. But because it's the situation they were in and everybody knew about it beforehand, uh, I think it should have been. Mm. And this is one of the only times you will hear me argue in favor of uh, Marcio Carvalho getting getting the edge when it comes to tournament rulings. But, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what player it is. It should be yeah. more yeah. severely, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm almost glad... I feel like I'm glad it wasn't the other way around because I think if it was the other way around, the conversation would be detracted. Uh, it would be um, this diverge in a whole different direction that's uh, you know uh, not really getting to the core of the, a core of the issue. Yeah. But I, suppose, I'm, I think I think I'm, I, maybe I'm misunderstanding. So you know, I, I think I, I only run, run into this in arena when I've made a mistake of not putting a stop. But if your opponent casts Legion War, War Boss, like while it's on the stack, can you just set it? Can you just set a no. stop to the? End of, you the, end of the first main phase? No, you don't get priority while it's on the stack if you only have, for example, a cast down that's an instant in hand. I see. Okay, yeah. If they yeah. have no other creatures on board, it just, they put it on the stack and it automatically resolves. If you have a shock in hand because you still have legal targets for the shock to players, you do get the opportunity to set the stop. But if it's if you only have an instant that can only target creatures and there's no legal target when they cast it, it just automatically resolves and goes to combat. There's no period where you even if you're really fast with your fingers, it doesn't matter. Like if you manage to click the stop while they're in the animation of casting it, it still doesn't stop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's either like a blind spot or a miss um, on, on the programmer's part. Um, yeah, and it's been a known issue for for months. Yeah. So. God. Yeah, and I think. Again, as you say, you can't really talk about how easy or difficult it is, but it seems like it should be a fix that's certainly doable, if not easy, uh, for certain cards like that that have beginning of combat triggers or cards that have end step triggers like Wilderness Reclamation to just give the opposing player a stop when when they're cast because that's how it works in real life. There's th Those rules are there, like being able to back up like that, because of because wizards don't want people to be put at a disadvantage because they can't say something quickly enough and in this case it's because they yeah. can't do something quickly enough they literally physically can't it's impossible no nobody can hit that button quick enough that the actions have already gone through on the server or whatever so it just seems a bit unfair to allow that to happen in arena when it doesn't happen in paper yeah and the only way they could could uh like beat that is they've been specifically told by the tournament rules they're not allowed to do which is setting full control mode 
at the start of their opponent's turn or setting a stop you know ahead of their opponent's turn on the turns where they think they could cast legion war boss they've been specifically told by wizards they're not allowed to do that so then their opponent screws up and gets a goblin there's literally nothing they can do about it yeah yeah so they're following the rules but then they they end up punished uh punished by it so yeah uh apart from apart from that uh small uh road bump i think the the mythic championship has been great and fun to watch al do you have a you're playing with a bottle um, cap or something well in that case was yeah sometimes i sometimes i just pick stuff up and play with it and then drop it all right a uh, okay. lot of radio production don't do that <laughs> Yes, uh, Wolf is going to have to give us all a masterclass in, uh, in radio hosting at some point. <laughs> I think we're all... Don't fiddle with things. Yeah, I think we're all relatively experienced now. Uh, I was planning on uh, tuning Keep my trombone during the next show, if that's okay, whatever. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll see what I can do to, uh, to edit that out. <laughs> I don't know if uh, trombone is easy to cut out of a... A sequence involving speech. I don't know. I think people like to to hear the nuts and bolts of how we make the show. You know. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah, it's, I mean, speaking of nuts, bolt, nuts and bolts, my desk is just it's just completely covered in nuts and bolts that uh, I pick up on a regular basis and play with and, uh, and drop. Um, so I'm a real I'm a real nuts and bolts kind of player of Magic the Gathering. Oh my god, <laughs> this is a uh, that sounds like my nightmare. My desk is just full of magic cards at all times. My desk is completely clear. Has my laptop. That's it. He did the Marie Kondo, threw out anything that didn't spark joy. Yes, exactly. Uh, my magic cards do spark joy, luckily, so it's... That's true. that's true. I do have a few magic cards sitting around. All right, but the that does. the rest of the Mythic Championship has been fun to watch. The The only other negative thing that I would say is uh, they're, they're st- they still can't get in between matches right, even though, like Kieran said uh the there's been less downtime and it's good to see so many more matches even still between matches they're still playing the exact same four or five segments and it's so annoying it's like they they have new segments which is great because the first time i saw them i was like oh yeah i haven't seen this before but then i saw it you know six more times in the space of three hours and i'm done with it now so they're like little segments about uh, MPL players and where where they come from, their magic journey or whatever, and yeah, lovely to see. But they just keep playing them in the same order, and they they also have this these nice um, tips sections that that they've played at the odd time. But again, not nearly enough of them. Why are they not just recording all the matches and just playing all the matches even without commentary in down in the downtime? Like put an ad on the left and the match in in the small small screen on the right. I don't know something. Yeah, I agree with that. I hope hopefully it's something that improves as uh, as time goes on. I do notice that with Hearthstone tournaments and stuff, even still though, like and they've been going for years, where they they often repeat the same you know player profile segments and stuff. I'll see the same things a couple times per stream when my housemate is watching Hearthstone tournaments. Uh, my the sitting room. Obviously, I'm not sitting down watching Hearthstone tournaments, guys. <laughs> there would not be enough space in my brain for another card game. No. Uh, once Doctor Boom rotated or was banned or whatever, that was it for me. I was like, "This, this, this game I love is is done with." <laughs> uh, I, I was very competitive with um, what's his name, Yog Saron? Was that the card? That was yeah. Card. What did that card do? It casts a random spell or random targets for every spell you cast this game. Yeah, it was like the ultimate storm card. It was like yeah. Mind's Desire, but it just cast random cards. It was pretty oh. hilarious, but like that's a card, never a card that should be competitive. So yeah, be- exactly. Yeah, I, I think it was just intended to be uh, a casual fun card. Um, 
<laughs> then people realise, oh, you know, 70% of the time you, you come out on top uh, with this card when you play it. So, you know, you just play it when you're behind and you come back from ridiculous board seats. Love it. <laughs> of all the things to take from Magic, taking the storm mechanic <laughs> and making it even more busted is, like, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way, that does seem ridiculous, Scott. Yes. Uh, I think the next set's going to have Phyrexian mana. That's what Yeah. <laughs> All right, will we move move on to talking about the, the core set and some of the cards previewed? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will, I think, yeah. I don't think there's that much else to say about the Mythic Championship so far. I mean, it is only day one, so... Yeah, we can talk about the meta breakdown and stuff if people want. Oh, yeah. I Maybe. guess the day two. I think it's interesting seeing what people chose. Yeah, um, let's talk about that. Way less Dreadhorde decks than I expected. There's yes. only two people registered Soltar Dreadhorde. Nobody registered four-color Dreadhorde. Yeah. Out of the whole tournament, is that true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, zero four-color Dreadhorde or five-color Dreadhorde decks. Uh, only one blue-white, like, weenie deck, but there are four gross decks, basically, that are that are mono-white. Uh, that's three Japanese players uh, who all have almost exactly the same list, and then Andrew Allen Bogan also registered a slightly different list. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Esper by far dominating the meta between Esper Control and Esper Hero. It looks like it's like between a third and half of the meta. I don't have the exact stats. I'm just looking at a list. Uh, and then decent amount of what's the next most popular deck? Is it Phoenix? Phoenix, yeah. And then after that, it's kind of banned and Simic decks. And then you kind of have the dregs being made up after that. A couple of other random decks. Five mono red as well. I don't know. It's not what I would have thought. I would have thought more people would still be on Dreadhorde, but it seems like Esper has just absolutely taken over everything. Yeah, it's pretty good. This is like the next step, the next evolution of, of the format. You know, we're, we're seeing it evolve week by week. The state has come to now. Um, yeah, I'm really interested that three people decided to register Simic Nexus. So Autumn Burchett and Emma Handy are playing the exact same de deck list. I think they worked on it together. Uh, and then Matthias Leverado uh, is also playing Simic Nexus. I don't, I'm like, how did you come to the decision to play Simic Nexus when you know Esper is just absolutely everywhere and like you're going to be playing against a Teferi second round? I'm like amazed by how you could do that. You have to be so confident in yourself to think you Teferi and nurse it with, uh, with Nexus. Yeah. Yeah, I, very, very surprised you got. Yeah. I, I was talking about this in the Or Spikes Discord with a few people. Uh, Yoman5 was saying that the, the whatever build that they have of, um, of Simic Nexus actually is okay against Esper because of the Nissa and because of so many bounce spells and the Blast Zone uh, that there it just can win much more easily and it has a lot of ways to deal with the Teferi. Yeah, I can bounce spells and duel and stuff like that. I still I still think it's I still think you're behind in the matchup even if you're to win. I still think you're an underdog. Well, you also have the sideboard plan of uh, bringing in the Torn Lieutenants and the Biogenic Ooze. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of puts the it puts the Esper players off because they don't know should they keep in Wraths or not. And so it can leave you in a spot where you're, you've taken advantage of them after Cyborg and you've out-leveled them. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I've played this list yeah. a little bit and I did have success with it last night playing it. I was playing Autumn's list, uh, Autumn slash Emma's list. It's better to me I, I was kind of unsure how to sideboard though. Like, how, what do you bring in? What do you take out to bring in like four Thorn Lieutenants and three Biogenicus? Are you literally taking out like Nexus of Fates? I'm not too sure. I, I think you can. I mean, the good thing about the this Mythic Championship is you can go and have a look exactly how Autumn sideboarded. 
there's a, a few Very true. Very true. On stream so yeah i'll have to do that today yeah uh one one other interesting thing about the the deck breakdown is that uh by by far more mpl members brought esper decks and by far more more challengers brought is it phoenix and i was thinking that's probably because esper esper is a very just a really strong deck that can win against anything so if you're a member of the mpl you're a professional magic player you're going to fancy yourself at least somewhat favored against most of the challengers i mean most of the challengers who are not also magic superstars like lsv and kai Buddha. but uh and then you'll be at least 50 50 against your fellow mpl members because of yeah if they're playing esper and you're playing esper well then you know you can expect that to be about 50 50 um and then is it phoenix uh, and lsv and kai both broad esper decks <laughs> which exactly. kind of goes along with that as well i'm sure they're they're in the same boat in their in their thinking um yeah and then from the challenger side if you're bringing is it phoenix maybe you're hoping to get those busted draws against the mpl and just kind of take advantage of the things that is it phoenix can do and and win quickly yeah that makes sense to me i think like if i was coming into this as a challenger um yeah i I agree with that i don't think i would play esper i think i would just try to play something that's a little bit off the beaten track and try and just just play something a little bit weird that and just be like i hope on the day everything just shakes out so that i i have an advantage somehow against what people try to bring and you know i get good matchups and stuff like that and i'm playing something a little bit unexpected that uh that you know not everyone is going to be prepared for like if i feel like i'm coming into a tournament and i'm going to be less skilled than my opponents i'm going to try and take more risks just to increase the variance uh, i know a lot of people disagree with this strategy but i i kind of think it's the way to go personally yeah i would i would agree with that too i i would probably be on one of the one of the boros or azorius aggro decks yeah uh, i think i think i would be on phoenix to be honest because like the nut draws are so strong and like even the best player in the world is not going to be really able to deal with uh like a fiend like two phoenixes hitting them on turn three yeah yeah speaking of best player in the world kai buddha with the insane run has he been doing well i haven't seen him in his matches he, he finished six and one so once you get to six wins you automatically advance to day two and four losses four losses automatically um automatically drops you from the tournament so as far as i know he got through at six and one let me just double check that yeah kai obviously insane player didn't play that many tournaments anymore um but like it's always a pleasure to watch him play yeah finkel isn't at this tournament right john finkel no i would have loved to see john against kai on arena i think that would be so cool yeah that would be very sweet finkel somehow shows up with storm Yeah, I can't find the exact uh, the exact record, but yeah, Kai is in the top sixteen uh, into the next day. So I'll just very quickly um, go through who has made it. Greg Orange as well. Greg Orange was the first. He was he went through at six zero, so he he's doing pretty well for himself. Also a delight to watch. Greg Orange was really enjoying himself. Uh, Simon Gertzen is through. He's on Simic uh, Simic ramp with Nexus. Uh, Raf Levy is through. He's on Mono Red, I believe. Uh, Greg Orange is through. He's on Esper Control, of course. Uh, Shahar Shanhar is through. Shahar is on, I believe, <laughs> Mono he's playing Red. Aggro, I think, right? Yeah, he's playing Mono Red. Uh, yeah, Kai is through. He's also playing Esper, but he's playing Esper Hero. Uh, Marcio Carvalho is through. He's playing Esper Control, I believe. John Rolf is through. Also Esper Control. Uh, Li Shi Tian is through. He's playing uh, Azorius Aggro. 
Jean-Emmanuel de Praz is through. I'm not 100% sure. Hmm. What? He's playing Phoenix. He's playing Phoenix? Yeah. Ooh. His, his Twitter says that he's playing Adeli's The Cinderwind. So... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, it's that aggro version. I think he had Charging Monstrous, Monstrosaur in his deck, too. Hmm. Uh, Kentaro, Kentaro Yamamoto is also through. He is playing Boros Aggro, so mono mono white with um, mono white with the red splash for Experimental Frenzy. And Shota is through, and he's playing Esper. So fairly fairly star studded top sixteen there. Mostly, oh sorry, and Matias Leverado also uh, is through. And they'll they're of course uh, going to be playing with the MPL split or spark split winners from the weekly league play, which is Brian Bond, Brian Brown doing um, Brad Nelson, Ray Sato and Ken Yukihiro. Well, yeah, that's an impressive number of MPL that are through. Although I guess, hold on, let me, let me count them up here. we got one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Maybe it's only six MPL that got through into day two. Is Shahar in the MPL? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he is. So that's seven seven MPL members that got through. And one, two, well, I guess you can do the math. Nine. Nine challengers through. But the, the nine challengers are, you know, Greg Orange, Ralph Levy, uh, Matthias Leverado, who is one of the top 16 from Arena, um, Kai Buda, and Simon Gertsen. So the <laughs> the challengers who got through are also basically professional Magic players. Yeah, definitely a much more consistent showing um than the mythic invitational in terms of who made it to the later stages of the tournament and i think that's entirely down to the fact that it was best of three yep yeah definitely that's very good so i look forward to watching the top 16 and then the the top four battling it out and i think now we can move on to our core set previews awesome so do you just want to hit the the mythics and then maybe we can leave rares till next week because i think there's there's a lot to talk about yeah absolutely cool so yeah, it seems like the the, the... The velocity of, of spoilers has been very, very high. Uh, this yeah. Year, or this, this set. There's so much. A lot. I, I haven't kept up. I guess we we could we could hit one cycle of rares first uh, before we talk about the mythics, just because we can kind of talk about all of th- this whole cycle at the same time, uh, which is the ley lines. So this was a bit of a surprise. We got reprints of ley line of sanctity, ley line of anticipation, ley line of the void, and then we got two new ley lines. Uh, in red and green, I think they're both new, aren't they? So the the, yeah. the I thought we were talking about mythics. Yeah, we're but talking about rares too. Yeah, we'll we'll just talk about this the 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 leyline cycle, and then we'll talk. Okay. About um, yeah, the leyline of combustion and leyline of abundance. So yeah, they all have the the leyline clause, which is if it's in your hand, opening hand, you can start with it on the battlefield. But other than that, they cost two and then color color. Um, these are great reprints for the the Esper color ones. Uh, that are very very expensive, so they're they're a good pickup, and they might have applications in standard. I mean, I guess Leyline of the Void is the main one that I'm thinking of because of Commander Dreadhorde. Yeah, I think Leyline of the Void is just always a good standard graveyard hate option, right? And it's going to be even better with um, the London Mulligan coming in. So it's very possible that you're going to be you're going to have to dedicate less sideboard slots to your Leyline because previously you would a lot of the time, not always. But a lot of you would want, you know, three 
three or four uh, ley lines in your sideboard because you wanted to maximize the chances of hitting them in your opening hand so you could play them for free. Obviously, that's still true. You still want to get them in your opening hand. But with the London Mulligan, it's a lot more likely that if you really need the card, you'll be able to find it with less copies in your deck. So it they might be even better than before and that you might only need in a lot of circumstances to three rather than three to four in your deck. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I, I kind of... I feel like it's it's gonna to kind of graveyard based decks to um in standard at least to have just basically just to have a uh, a plan for leyline either if they change with their strategies in the game or bring in some kind of some kind of hate card uh, for every or even every deck well depending on how on, on how I mean you don't have to be black deck to play leylines you don't have to be white deck to play yeah for sure yeah there are uh, release valves for leyline of the void um like we have the we have enchantment destruction cards in standard, like I mean, like Thrashing Brontodon, or um, we have that split card that came out in War. That's it's like a naturalize, but it also destroys a flyer, something like that. Yeah, it's Return to Nature. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh wait, sorry. Do you mean uh, Crushing Canopy? Mm, well, we have that as well, but no, there's another one. Maybe it doesn't destroy like, a flyer. It does something else. <laughs> there's Return to Nature, which like destroys an artifact and enchantment, or like shuffles their graveyard or something like that. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, so that that is uh, a release valve against Leyline of the Void for graveyard decks, possibly. Uh, Leyline of Sanctity, Leyline of Anticipation. I don't really expect them to do all that much in standard. I mean, Sanctity can be good against decks like like targeted discard is quite good in standard at the moment. Thought Erasure, Duress are are very good. Burn is not that great at the moment, but it it does have the capability to be very good. So. Uh, I think that could be an application there against the mono red decks. Anticipation, I don't think, I can't imagine any deck that wants it, but maybe there's some kind of bant creature deck that could, you know, that could get a huge advantage from operating at instant speed from the start of the game. I mean, like, inter- it's, if it's sorceries, why would you just not play Teferi, right? Like, this card is just so out of class by Teferi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it would want to be. That you, that you want to give your creatures flash for you to play ley line of anticipation. By the way, Teferi also really good against these ley lines. Yep, Teferi uh, bounce them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're playing a ley line off your color to get that bounce is not good. Oh, yeah, that's bad. All right, and then ley line of combustion is uh, whenever you and or at least one permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, ley line of combustion deals two damage to that player. So that's pretty good for the red decks. Uh, anytime they get their their dudes get removed, they get a, a free shock. Yeah, I mean it's not a free, uh, the, after the first one it's free, right? Because the first one you spend a card on. Sure, you have to get it twice uh, before you're happy. Yeah, this doesn't seem very good to me. Okay, and then uh, leyline of abundance does that does that strike your fancy? So it's uh, whenever you tap a creature for mana, add an additional green, and then it has an activated ability, which is unusual for leylines. It's six green green, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. So if you have this and you have Nissa, you're making a lot of mana. Have you ever played Nissa? Have you ever untapped a Nissa and thought, you know what, I need more mana? Yes, many times. I know. Yeah, I, I feel this like was this... interesting. Sorry, Al, you go ahead. Uh, I was, was going to say, I mean, how, how excited are we that our Lanamar Elves on turn two tap or two mana? Is that enough of a reason to play this? Again, it's like being down a card is rough, right? But. I like the fact that this card at least also gives you a payoff as well as extra mana. Like, like it gives you a mana sink, something to do with it in the late game. Like, that makes it more interesting to me. But, yeah, I'm not sure if this effect is worth being down a card. Like, 
what about the games where you like have this in your opening hand but you don't have a mana creature that's like so bad yeah and, and it's also pretty poor kind of maybe it's mitigated by only one like if, if like you're on set we're bringing in fewer of them but i guess in a way a concession you're paying to bring in a day lines uh is or having a lines in your deck is you're essentially switching off a few of your draw sets that might happen mid to late game yes it's also pretty bad if you have this like you draw it after your opener and then like it seems okay because it's a four mana spell that ramps you which is kind of often like gives you a big ramp which is often where ramp spells sit they often sit a four mana to give you a decent bit of ramp so you could you know technically play this on turn three or something like that with your with your ramp creatures and then you're like okay next turn i can do a big hydroid crisis or i can use a, spend a lot of mana and then your opponent wraths you're in a pretty bad spot oh yeah it, it, it seems very uh, conditional for me it is interesting so though, in this standard yeah most of the good ramp is creatures so you're making the creature ramp it's it's another way to get to um to get to nissa on turn three like if you have this in your opening hand you don't need two mana dorks to get to Nissa on turn three you only need one and that can be played either one or two because like previously i mean i mean i mean that's true yeah I, that, that that is true but i suppose we're going to play this at a deck where we're maximizing their mana dorks anyway uh so <laughs> we probably will be fine for having uh, multiple mana dorks i mean maybe I mean, it's also just it's also just a combination of like so two mana dorks gets you Nissa turn three, one mana dork and a ley line gets you Nissa turn three, two ley lines and no mana dorks does absolutely nothing. So that's a big price to pay for putting it in your deck compared to just more mana dorks, right? That's true. That's true. But the the, the effect does stack. So if you have two ley lines and one mana dork, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Turn two. Then they remove your one mana dork. It's like, I don't know. I'm having trouble seeing it. Uh, I think it's worth testing. Yeah, for sure. All right, we'll move on to the mythics. We'll we'll start with the planeswalkers. So I'll yeah. read um, Ajani, Strength of the Pride. It's a uh, two white white for Ajani. He's uh, he's got five loyalty coming in. He has a plus one. You gain life equals the number of creatures you control plus the number of planeswalkers you control. He has a minus two. Create a two two uh, Ajani's Pride mate. So it has all the same text as Ajani's Pride mate. Pride mate. And then he has zero. If you have at least fifteen life more than your starting life total, exile Ajani. And each artifact and creature your opponents control. So very strange, unusual Ajani design here, but pretty cool. Yep, I think this card's really cool. I think at the moment I would prefer to play the other four mana Ajani over it, but obviously that's going to rotate uh, in autumn. Um, and that deck is more just goes in any sort of mid rangey white deck, whereas this you obviously want to be way more into the Pride Mate and uh, Pride Mate and Life Gain synergy. Uh, I think this is a really cool design. I already like it. It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that definitely is unique design. Uh, I, I I don't necessarily think it's particularly powerful. Um, I, I think it's has been how 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 strong is a, a Johnny's five eight on turn four and turn five. Mm, I mean, like if you just if you already have like two of them in play and then you plus it, it's like pretty yeah. nice. Actually, yeah, that, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. So it's it seems like a big payoff for um you know, the 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 likely neck we've seen appear on you know, sometimes. Yeah, like I'm presuming there's just going to be more support for that. Um. Like creating an Ajani's Pride Mate is like not bad. I mean, when you like with the other the other Ajani, right? When you you could only bring back what a two drop from the graveyard anyway, and like I was always pretty happy doing that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I suppose you're you're probably maximizing your your two drops and S when you're playing or or Ajani. Um, yeah, like in this deck, the Pride Mate is going to be your best two drop, so it's good. Yeah. A lot of it's going to be better than the other Ajani's minus. Yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and then presuming in this deck you're going to be leveraging, you're, you're going to be um, leaning on your Pride Mates more than, than you, 
all in in the mirror decks if you're playing this. Yeah, and like it's not unreasonable that uh, when you play this on turn four, you would be able to zero it probably within two turns. You know, if you're like really strongly into the life gain theme. Yeah, yeah. All right. It goes itself, but... Have you uh, have you guys got the the cards up in front of you? Yep. Yes. All right, Al. Do you want to read Mu Yanling? Uh, yes. Yu Manling, Sky Lancer, uh, one blue blue for Legendary Planeswalker. Yeah, Yanling. Uh, so it comes in in two, uh, two loyalty. That's plus two until your next turn. Up to one target creature gets minus two minus zero and loses flying. Uh, it's minus three is uh, create a four four elemental bird creature token with flying, and it's minus eight is uh, you get an emblem with islands you control have tap draw card. Seems very good to me. Yep, I think this card's great. And again, it's very cool design. Uh, being able to push the power of a three mana planeswalker uh, by giving it a minus second ability that it is unable to use the turn it comes into play, I think is a uh, is cool design space. Uh, I think this is a great card. Yeah, I think. Also, it's kind of where 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 did you see this be played? Um, kind of just like blue mid range decks, I guess. Yeah, I think it probably has to be a deck that wants to make use of the the bird. So, and I mean, that's not nothing on turn four to get a free, uh, air quotes, free 4-4 uh, with flying, plus whatever you've played on turn four yourself. But I think it could obviously go in mono blue. Uh, it's good at racing because it, it's lowering the opponent's attack. It's giving you another 4-4 with flying to attack with. And I mean, you'll basically never get the ultimate, but whatever. It's a good ultimate. You have, you know, mono Tilt is pretty good in five blue. Mono Blue has the most islands of any deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, range decks could also potentially use it. The the plus is very similar to um, Jace. Oh my god, I don't even remember his name anymore. Jace Friends Prodigy. His flips, his flip side uh, was pretty much the same, except for the flying part. And it's it's actually pretty strong. That minus two power. It's similar to Liliana the Last Hope as well. Obviously, Liliana the Last Hope can actually kill things because she gives minus two, minus one. But I would say don't underestimate that plus. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, Kieran, do you want to read Soren? Yeah, absolutely. So Soren, Soren Imperious Bloodlord, uh, costs two and a black, which just before I go any further, I think that's really interesting. Uh, like normally a kind of mythic planeswalker that's three mana, it's very unusual to see them not cost one black black at three mana. Like for example, Mu Yan Ling costs one blue blue. I know we've seen the um, the the uncommon planeswalkers from War uh, have that mana cost, you know, like Kazmina or whatever, three and a blue. But I think this is the most powerful planeswalker we've seen have a non-restricted cost at three mana. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting point. Sorry, I'll just read the rest of the card. Uh, comes in with four loyalty, legendary planeswalker Sauron. Uh, it has plus one target creature you control gains death, touch, and lifelink until end of turn. If it's a vampire, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Uh, it has another plus one. You may sacrifice a vampire. When you do, Sauron Imperious Bloodlord deals three damage to any target and you gain three life. And then minus three, you may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So obviously super into the vampire tribal here. Uh, acts as an accelerant, being able to put a big vampire into play if there's a, a nice big bomb vampire in your deck. Um, plus one, putting a counter on your vampire and giving it lifelink and death touch till end of turn. It's just kind of an, it's an okay plus. Uh, puts him up to five loyalty, which is a, a ton for a three mana planeswalker. Uh, and then the other plus one, sacrificing a vampire to lightning helix something seems really good to me because it's not non-token vampire so you can play like maverin fane or something like that that generates token vampires legions landing does the same thing 
they're obviously going to rotate in a couple of months, but they'll be legal at the moment. And like sacrificing those to Lightning Helix is really strong to me. Yeah, the the thing that yeah, I really want to the thing that I really want to sacrifice and it curves well is Dusk Legion Zealot. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, yes, Dusky Boy is back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, boys are back and down. I think yeah, the the less restrictive mana cost that you pointed out here, Karen, is because of the more restrictive text box. So this is purely a vampire tribal Soren. And I think it is cool that they're pushing vampires. Like I think we see this. I think we see them do this uh, a fair bit, where they will just inject a bit of life into an archetype right before it's about to rotate out. I think we saw it with zombies as well. Like the zombies from Innistrad got a boost from um, whatever the set was just before they rotated out. And here we're getting vampires. Okay. Uh, like so, the the life gain, black white life gain theme in this set is is giving a boost to the Ixlan vampires before they rotate out. Yep, great point. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of... Because, uh, I mean, this is kind of insane for, like, the fact that it can do the minus three on the turn that it comes out. What's the best thing we can put into play on turn three with this? And my first thought is Vona. Yeah. Ooh, Vona's pretty yeah. nice on turn three. Damn. That is bananas. Champion of Dusk. Ooh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, even if it's just a 4-4, lose one, draw one, that's absolutely fine. It's replacing itself. You've got a 4-4 and you've got a Planeswalker on the board. That honestly seems great to me. Thinking about this card and talking about it for the first time, I'm actually a lot more excited than I was when I initially read it. I think this card is actually really strong. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's depending on what, you're, what you draw. Yeah, the path of minuses and survives is a pretty... pretty... The, the only drawback, I suppose, is that it can't always protect itself. Um... Because you may not have a vampire in the board. Like if you just top deck this, it's not very good. Like if you like if you just been wrathed and you have nothing, and you just top deck Zorin, he does literally nothing. But he pluses himself up to five. But as soon as you get a vampire in hand or on the board, he's doing good work. So he he doesn't really shore up the weaknesses of a tribal creature deck in the same way that like something like a Gideon Blackblade would. But I mean, you could just play Gideon also. Yeah. How about a how about putting a Chancellor in the dross? Of the draws into play. Um, that's vampire? vampire. Did not realize it's vampire. Hmm? Yeah, apparently it is. It is. Well, it is. Yeah, I'm looking at it. No. Uh, I did not know it's vampire. I I just did a search for high mana cost vampires. <laughs> there's um, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a big seven drop one that like destroys your opponent's shit, right? I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's like a, you always see it in Commander and stuff like that. I'm sure I'll I'll, I'll come across it at some point as I scroll through this list. Uh, yeah, there there are there are a lot of vampires. Um, yeah, vampires is one of those tribes that's like on the cusp of being good and modern, like humans was. Yeah. I think so. I think, anyway. It's close. Edgar Markov's legal in any format now? Mm. Legacy. Was he banned for Commander? Oh, Legacy, of course, yeah. No. I think he was. It's one of the pre-cons. Oh, my, but was it still, was it banned still, even though it's a pre-con? Maybe I'm going to make Edgar Markov? He's the guy who makes 1-1 one, one vampires when you cast vampire spells, right? He has a, yeah, the eminence spell. Um, yeah. yeah, no, he's not bad. They'd never ban a pre-con commander, that would be wild. See, sometimes I have dreams about Magic Gathering based stuff that should happen, and then I think it has happened. Leovold is banned, is that what you're thinking of? <laughs> I always get Leovold and Edgar mixed up. Um, no, he's not banned, I'm... I don't think I'll see... Oh, crazy. Yeah, okay, it's restricted in Duel, what Duel is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like, that's French commander, like the two-player commander. Oh, okay. Yo, yeah, well, that's, that's obviously what I was thinking of, and I don't think it was, I think I, yeah, I, I wasn't signed up. It's not even banned. Restricted? How can something be restricted in a in a singleton format? <laughs> you can only have one. Yeah. <laughs> you can't make copies of it. Fine. Uh, yeah, no, I was a great. Oh, yeah, it's illegal in uh, all those things. Thanks, Vintage Commander. Okay, so Vintage I Vampires. I, I, 
I was so sure it was banned. I don't know how it happened. It's so strange. That's so funny. Yeah, if if it gets banned, like uh, because of this card now, um, because of Saren, uh, I will I will be very I'll be very smug. It's like God damn how smug I'll be. Yeah. You can tell the the future crime that's going to happen in casual multiplayer <laughs> formats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of high high mana cost uh, vampires. Um, I haven't come across one. Kieran mentioned yet, but uh, I'm sure it's in. Here. I mean, I, I don't I don't think this is the thing to. Uh, to push vampires over the edge in other formats, but I I would be interested in trying in standard. Yeah, we have a uh, the Haunt of High Tower. That's a standard. That was a buy box promo from uh, RNA. Mm. Oh yeah, nice. That is a six mana. That is a good card. I mean, if you can <laughs> buy them now, yeah, before it gets uh, all snapped up. Okay, we move on. Yeah, sorry, I'm just uh, <laughs> can't stop looking at these vampire lists of vampires. But yeah, I think Vona is. This is not. This is a bad direction for the podcast to take us. Come on, for vampire talk. That's about, let's just, let's just do a deep a deep dive into seven drop vampires. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna move on to the to the cavalier cycle. Yeah. So I'll read the first one, but I'll just talk about the the cycle overall. Uh, these are it's a cycle a, a mythic cycle of creatures which are elemental knights. So those are relevant creature types. We do still have knight tribal in the form. Uh, Dominaria cards in standard and we do have upcoming elemental tribal in this set so I think those are relevant creature types and then another thing to note is that all of these well, we don't have the blue one yet but so far all of them have similar mana costs they cost two and then color 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 so in my mind they're performing the same same function in standard as the uh, color 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 rares from dominaria so like goblin chain whirler and stuff that pushed pushed decks to consider monocolor or strongly one color um because i think if you're looking to play these cards in three color decks i think you're going to be having a bad time even though they cost five i mean you look at how i mean people do play nickel bolus but he's very very difficult to play um you have to have so many black sources so it's the same thing with all of these you have to have so many sources of that color um so i think that these are strong and they're probably going to have an impact on standard so i'll read uh cavalier of dawn which is the white one it's a two white 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 for elemental knight as i said it's a four six so five mana for a four six with vigilance and when it enters the battlefield destroy up to one target non-land permanent so we're looking at five mana for a four six destroy a non-land permanent and then its controller creates a three three colorless golem artifact creature and when it dies, return target artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. So that's kind of what we're looking at with all of them here. They all have uh, an enters the battlefield and a dies ability. So what do we think of the first one here? Yeah, to me, this card looks like uh, it was generated by Ro- like Robo Rosewater on Twitter, you know, the, the machine learning account. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's less funny than that. But to, this just looks like a completely random collection of abilities to me. Like the card is obviously a little bit pushed. Like it seems like you've got a lot for... Uh, for what you pay for but i just don't see the synergy between the abilities and i don't understand like what the flavor of the card is supposed to be at all uh yes yeah to me this set just or the, this uh cycle just strikes me as like the gear hulks or the titans it's it's just that kind of a cycle where there's not super flavor it's just they are big things that do whatever their color does for a myth for a pushed mana cost yeah but why does they make a golem why a golem? Well, I think because the the golems are in the set anyway, so I don't know. Is it splicer? 
Splashing boys. Splice some Tyson. So, I mean, they, they had to choose some token that is already in the set, I guess. Or they, they wanted to. So, that's... But then it's a... Like, what does being an elemental knight have to do with colorless golems or artifacts or enchantments? I don't understand the connections at all. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, what does Sun Titan have to do with bringing back things from the graveyard that cost three mana or less? Well, yeah, but like the other ones, like, you know, Grave Titan is a big zombie that makes zombies. Primeval Titan is a big tree that makes lands. You know, like the other ones aren't that bad. Yeah. I think Sun Titan is just some kind of God Sun that brings stuff back to life. That's, yeah, that's the, light, the yeah. light of the sun makes things regrow or whatever. There's some kind of connection I can make yeah. there in my mind. This one, I'm just, I don't get it at all. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm usually good at making uh, ridiculous connections, but uh, I'm really struggling with this as well. Is it like a Phyrexian knight? The element is light. Light turns people into golems. No, I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I think somebody... I don't usually rag on flavor stuff, but to me, I'm just like, why? <laughs> like, where did this card come from? Who designed this? And everyone was like, yep, sign off on this, tick the box. This looks great. Yeah, maybe, maybe you see something else. Uh, then mm. Maybe it was conceived before the cycle was conceived, and then um, they slapped it on. By the way, for the card itself... Uh, so, how many? What, what kind of permanence in standard uh, would you prefer your opponent to have a treasury instead of it? A four four. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I like how instead of, instead of something like beast within, where sometimes yeah, beast within you heal something that you need to heal, they get a treasury. But at least like this, like your four six with vigilance is negating that treasury anyway. Yeah. So it's not, it's not necessarily a downside. I mean, you can almost you'd almost be happy to kill something like um like something like oh, like runaway seamkin uh, because it's like well even though it's a problematic card it's a problematic card even though you're gonna make it bigger as a golem. Uh, it's still it's still um it's not relevant because you've got a four six vision of now. Yeah, I mean it destroys planeswalkers, right? That's like to me that's yeah. the most interesting that's, one. That's at the top end, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a... obviously it destroys big enchantment and stuff. Yeah. Like it destroys the immortal sun. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's a non non permanent, so it's whatever, and they just get a three three golem. Like it's a good ability because the yeah. three three golem is is already dealt with by you having this creature. Obviously, if they yeah. kill it, that's bad, but whatever. But then when it dies, you can get an artifact or enchantment back. So I think with all of these cards, I feel like if you can figure out some way to get, like, to use all the abilities, then that's obviously how you're going to maximize these cards. I'm not going to play it because yeah. the flavor is so bad. I'm boycotting it. <laughs> I mean, in white, enchantments that you want to get back from your graveyard, of course, like stuff like Ixlan's Binding or Conclave Tribunal. Or prison realm, some of these removal spells that you can maybe get back. Um, artifacts. Oh yeah, you can. Um, you, you can. Sorry. Yeah, I, I suppose when, when you're talking about using everything. Um, you can if you exclaim if you well, if you exclaim binding. Uh, a medium threat, you can bring this down. And then I say if you exclaim binding something. To, sorry, if you binding something in the early game that you know, need to exclaim binding binding later on, they play a big massive bomb you get rid of. You can play this, get rid of your first exclaim binding. They get their small creature back. Uh, when it dies, you get extends body back to kill the big threat. Yeah, that's not great, but okay, yes. That's what yeah, yeah, has to die first. Uh, you play another Cavalier Dawn, Dawn, I kill your first one, and then for that trigger, get your enchantment back. Yeah, I guess if you kill your own enchantment. 10 mana. If you kill your own enchantment with this, you get the golem. Yeah. So I suppose it's not all bad. This, this can target itself, um, so if, if you want, if you prefer, if you prefer to have a tree tree golem instead of a 4-6 Vigilance, uh, do that. Uh, <laughs> you get under Stair Bridge. Yeah, you would get the dies trigger as well. So yeah, I guess that that is possible. You could just be a three-three goal. Yeah, I suppose it's it's kind of like a, a regrowth, a five-man regrowth that gives you a three-three goal. I guess <laughs> that's pretty good, right? 
Mm, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I know. I think. Oh yeah, you get back. You can just. If, yeah, fight. Well, hang on. Wait. I'm. I'm not joking here. All right. Turn three, you play uh, History of Valia. Turn four, you hit second chapter. Turn five, History of Valia is gone. Uh, you play this. Uh, kill itself. Get your history. Get history of Valia back. And you're left in the tree tree. Yeah. I mean, it's not an actual regrowth because you don't get to get anything back, just artifacts or enchantments. Yeah. If, if your graveyard artifacts, artifacts and enchantments, then it's regrowth. I mean, in that situation, you're probably, yeah. you might be better served by just like killing something your opponent has and just attacking with your knights, and now you also have a 4 6 knight. Yeah. That, that, that sounds a lot better. <laughs> yeah, guys, your, your knights are going to outfast on your history turn. Uh, actually, no, they're not. They'll just become 4 Oh, well, they'll trade. They'll trade. Yeah, one will yeah. trade. Yeah, they'll trade. Anyway, I think it's a. Obviously, powerful card, but uh, remains to be seen if it'll slot in anywhere. Um, Al, do you want to read yeah. the, the black one? Uh, yes, uh, Cavalier of Night, uh, N I G H T. It's two black, black, black. Uh, so five mana for creature elemental, elemental knight. It's a four five lifelink. Uh, when ETVs, you may sacrifice another creature. Uh, when you do, destroy target creature and opponent controls. Uh, and then it has uh, similar kind of text for the other one. Uh, when it dies. Uh, return target creature card with convert mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So what, what, what nonsense is that? Mm, seems good with uh, what I mentioned for Soren, which is Dusk Legion Zealot, because you can just sacrifice the Dusk, Dusk Legion Zealot to kill something, and then when it dies, you can maybe get your Dusk Legion Zealot back, or you can get Soren back. No, it doesn't It doesn't get Planeswalker, sorry. Yeah, no, it's a creature card. Yeah, creature card. Fast. Yeah. Well, you can get the Dusk Legion Zealot back and draw another card, and then this has... This yeah. Lifelink, so that hopefully will have mitigated some of the life loss you've incurred from your Dusk Legion Zealots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four or five body with lifelink is, is um, a stabilizer. Yeah, this card seems you know, strong. Itself. Yeah, I, I, I like how there's there's no objection to this card. No, I know, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, this one's fine. It's like it's a spooky knight that you know takes down his own troops to to kill kill his enemies, and then he raises them as zombies back from the dead mm. to do his bidding. I don't know. That kind of all works together for me. I guess. Yeah. They don't come back as zombies and black in addition to the other colors. Yeah, that's because they couldn't fit the text on the card. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of text on these. Because he's, he's a particularly good necromancer that he could bring stuff back uh, without zombies. Oh, okay. All right. We've yeah. the explained that's why he's a bit card. I think it's really good. Yeah. Especially if it's like top end of Aristocrat Sec or I don't know. How, how are we for threat and effects in Saturday right now? This is a, obviously that's going to be a lot of mana. Mm, yeah, I don't. I think you can't separate less than three mana. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is probably in in an aristocrat style deck. This is obviously good. Is it better than Bantu? Maybe not at the same mana cost. Like Bantu. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, like. I think it is. I don't know. I think it's better on average than Bantu, but maybe Bantu is more what that deck wants because you can sacrifice like as many things as you want and. That deck is probably built around having Bantu be their last play. So you can do things like um, like have a Mayhem Devil or a Judith out, Judith out and then just sacrifice everything and, and combo kill in a way. Whereas Cavalier of Night can't do that. You will you will get the one trigger off Judith or off um, Mayhem Devil. And I guess maybe you're, you're clearing the way of a blocker and you get to win that way. And then the average case for Cavalier of Night is a bit better. Um and then, of course, when it dies, that three mana, you know, is perfect for getting back Judith or Mayhem Devil. Yeah, it works really well with, like, Gutter Bones, too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Kieran, do you want to read uh, Cavalier of Flame? Sure thing. So it's uh, Cavalier of Flame is two red, red, red for another creature elemental knight. 
It's a 6-5, which is a big boy. Uh, it has the ability, one on a red, creatures you control get plus one plus zero and gain haste on the end of turn. So kind of mega fire breathing. Uh, when Cavalier enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. So you get, get to rummage as much as you want, kind of mega rummaging. When Cavalier of Flame dies, it deals X damage to each opponent and each planeswalker they control, where X is the number of land cards in your graveyard. So... Obviously, you can put land cards in your graveyard with the second ability, uh, which is kind of nice. I don't know how else you're supposed to get land cards into your graveyard. Like, not something red is particularly amazing at doing. I'm not sure. Field of Ruin in your deck, maybe, or something. Um, I think this is the worst one we've read. What? You don't think so? I think it's the best one. You think it's the best one? <laughs> oh, wow. How is it the best one? Because, I don't know. I, I just think the the deck that you play this in we haven't seen yet. I think that deck doesn't exist. And I think it will exist maybe after this set comes out. Maybe like a red-green elemental shell. So this card is an elemental. Uh, another card that is an elemental is Living Twister, which puts land cards in your graveyard. That's true. And I think if you're, if you're building around like, like a red-green elemental shell, you can maybe play this and the green knight. Um, and the... I mean, if, if this survives a turn and you get to play anything and use the ability to give everything haste and plus one plus oh, you're probably swinging for lethal. And then the rummage is just good, right? You throw away all the extra land. Yeah. I mean, by the time you're playing this, you probably won't have more than one or two cards in hand. So maybe it's not that good, but it still seems okay. Yeah. I mean, is this better than like Ilharg, the Raised Boar? Uh, I think so. It seems very similar to me, except that card has Trample. Like, you get to swing for a million the next turn with both of them. Yeah, but this this one gives you card filtering. Yeah, it does. Like, I'm interested in that aspect of it. I don't know about saying, you know, an elemental shell. I think we have to wait to see those cards before we judge it based on that. So, I don't, I don't know. It's just, like, the like it doesn't seem, like, on its face, like, as powerful to me as the events we've read. I think it has the same has the same thing that Chandra does, the, the current four-mana Chandra, where... It, it can put the, like if you're in, a, in an aggressive deck, it can put the opponent in this weird spot of, I want to kill this thing because it's really annoying me, but if I kill it, I take loads of damage. True. I guess, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm just having trouble seeing how many lands are going to get into the graveyard. Maybe that's the, the part I'm missing from this. Maybe you could also play it with like Tormenting Voice or something to get lands in the graveyard. Yeah. All right, well, let's see Let's see how well the green one goes with it. So I'll read this one. It's a Cavalier of Thorns. So it's two green, green, green. Still an elemental knight. This one has Reach, and it's a 5-6. Um, when it enters the battlefield, reveal the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest in your graveyard. And mm, interesting. you may exile it. If you do, put another card from your graveyard on top of your library. That's good. Yeah, I don't love this one. <laughs> Uh, I think the end of the battlefield ability is decent, but only getting a land card kind of hurts. I wish it was like maybe choose a land or a creature, and then when yeah. it dies, when when it gets the dies ability, it's also not great. You're not getting card advantage. You're just getting to next turn draw the best card in your graveyard. Yeah, and then like probably reach is like probably the least exciting keyword to choose in green yeah. for this. Although to be honest, there are a lot of good flyers in standard at the moment. Yeah, blocks uh, Lyra very well. Yeah, I don't. This this is, this is very weak, isn't it? Yeah, I don't love this one. It's a bad card. I would like. I, I'm hesitant to call it a bad card because there's just like so much text on it. 
and I've been I've been burned by thinking that the green card of the cycle is the weakest before. So <laughs> where was that? Giant growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bird of Gearhulk. That what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Gearhulk. But like ramping on five too much, and like yeah, as you say. Well, also you have to exile it when you use the dies ability. Yeah, well, which is odd because otherwise you could just keep bringing it back. Oh, because it says another card. Oh well, you could do. You could keep doing it with two of them. You could do a loop. Yeah, would that be would that be too powerful? No, I guess not. Dude, you don't get to draw it. I don't know. It's weird. I don't think it'll be enough to push this card over the edge. Yeah, this just. I'm not interested in any aspect of this card. Not interested in casting it for triple green. Not interested in an almost vanilla five six. Not interested in ramping, and I'm not interested in in uh, noxious revivaling something. Uh, yeah, reading the comments, a mythic spoiler. Uh, Russell Kyle says, "So lame, what a waste." Who reflect Ooh. my thoughts exactly, Kyle? Russell, sorry. Yeah, but like, <laughs> we all know how accurate comments on cards that haven't been released are. You leave 100%. Russell alone. Totally accurate, obviously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, watch this space. I would say this card is fine, absolutely fine, and uh, it would not surprise me to see it being played. Yeah, in limited. Oh my god. <laughs> in a in in uh, lads for magic content, we need to we need to be we need to be hyperbolic, hyper hyperbole, hyperbole, full of hyper, hy- loads of hype, hyperbole. Uh, <laughs> everything has to be either what's hyperballs. You've heard of um, the Super Bowl. Here's the hyperbole. You know, for most of my life, I thought it was pronounced hyperbole, and for that exact, exact same reason, and it made sense in my head because obviously you're exaggerating. So it's not super; it's hyper, hyperbole. Um, so uh, everything has to be either amazing or trash. Um, and I'm going to say right now that this card is amazing. No, sorry, it's trash. <laughs> and obviously, uh, a superbole would be uh, when Mexican football fans do really well at cheering for their team. <laughs> Ole. <laughs> Superb, Ole, yes, very good. Uh, that's oh God. that's I'm fired today, guys. More set twenty twenty or superb Ole? I guess the listeners. Oh, we have so many, so many options. We didn't even make the corset jokes we were making off Mike either. All right, well, let's not go. There. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we left next episode. I think we might wrap it up for today, and we'll get to the three color mythics next week because we are running long on time here. So I think we'll just to say I feel uncomfortable that uh, just to say that blue. Uh, card of the cycle has not yet been spoiled. Yes, the blue, the blue one will be the best one. Yep. Calling it now. So it is written. What, what, what's the keyword going to be? Uh, flying. Skulk. No, flying. <laughs> flying is so much better to reach. Oh, wait, oh, no, it's not. Reach, Defend, defender. Defender. Wow. Your surprise broke your connection there. Um, I think it's going to be a oh. zero 10 defender. Yeah. Elemental Knight. <laughs> it's going to give. Um, it's going to be. It's going to be the same card as um, your man who's defending stuff. Uh, attack bonuses. Uh, Arcades. Probably not. Probably not. That's a. I think that's a white. Ran, ran. So yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to draw cards. Yeah. If, if, I, uh, if I was if I was going to play an Arcades deck, splashing red, I would call it a uh, the Arcades fire. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that took me a second. Nice. All right. Well, I was thinking of other stupid deck names yesterday, but I can't remember them now. Let's let's leave those for next time. Uh, so if you want to. Get in contact with us. You can email us skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. That's uh, crack spelled C R A I C. You can tweet at us at skullcrack, and you can find this podcast on any good podcast directory. And that's going to do it from us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye-bye. shortly after E3, which happened before. <laughs> we are post-E3, um, and E3, uh, there was announcements for uh, the Final Fantasy, the Final Fantasy series, which um, I and uh, David and Kieran are, are, are fans of, and I am very, very hyped for a remake that is coming um, of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, so in my mode of, of, of Final Fantasy hype, I put together some questions for Line versus Wolf. The Final Fantasy edition. These are questions uh, that link Final Fantasy with Celtic mythology. Two things that we enjoy. Okay. Are we ready? I'm happy. Yeah, I'm unsure so, uh, what we're oh, ready. Yeah. These are these are difficult questions. Uh, okay. There was there was there was many, but um, okay. Uh, so randomly selected. Uh, we're gonna just, we're gonna go first with uh, Kieran the line in this case. All right. So uh, three questions each. Okay, Kieran. In in Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which playable race are inspired by mythological capable capable of uh, Theranthropy, changing from a seal to human form by shedding their skin. Um. Uh. Wait. Do you want the Final Fantasy race or the mythology? Uh, they're about the same. Oh, self. I think. Yes, that is correct. One for Kieran. I will. I've been bad at writing scores then before, so Kieran has. Um. All right, Wolf. Uh. Which Final Fantasy character is named after a witch that could transform into a black cat with a white spot on its chest? Hmm. Um. So the the witch that could transform into a black cat is in Celtic mythology. Yeah. And this character can also do this? Uh, no, but this character is based on it. Okay. Well, I don't know the answer, so I'm going to guess Morrigan. No. No, I, I, I thought you were going to get it. Sorry. That is incorrect. Kieran, would you like to guess? Adea? Oh, no. No, this is a Katsit. Uh... Katsit from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, based on uh, actually i i thought about that for a second when you said cat but then i joined a different way i was like no it's too obvious you decided hey i'm gonna get this wrong um so wolf has zero points um, all right okay uh kieran uh I, I i have not practiced this so i might get these words wrong kieran uh kalad ball the sword of fergus McRoy from the ulster cycle of irish mythology which Final Fantasy character's ultimate weapon shares its... I know this one. Uh, Sid? I don't know. Is that incorrect? David Wolf. Do I get to steal this? Yes. Uh, Titus. Titus. Yes. That's uh, right. Titus from Final Fantasy X. Uh, right. uh, well, uh, okay, so well, this is only going to get better. These questions get more and more <laughs> absurd. Um, okay. So that was... Sorry. That was here uh, on Wolf. So yeah. So Wolf now... Um, uh, so Wolf Kukulin is a ranked melee water summon in which Final Fantasy game? Oh my god. Um... Rank two melee summon. No. I definitely haven't played this game. <laughs> uh, hmm. I am going to say Final Fantasy V. No, this is Final Fantasy Twelve. Damn. Twelve? Yeah. 12. Uh, I I played a bit of Twelve, but I, I didn't get far enough to see Kukulin. Uh, Kukulin does not look like Kukulin that we know. Oh, wait, I lost. Uh, I lost your sound again. So wait one second. All right, back. So I'll say, go for whatever you finished talking about Kukulin there, so move on to your next question. Move on, will it? Yeah. Okay, Kieran. Yes. Ty the Tyrant King 
of the Formorians, a group of, a group of supernatural inspired in name of enemies found in the Saranoia catacombs of Final Fantasy. Yeah, I realise that, that, that is not a question. <laughs> uh, what is the name of these enemies? I, I wrote uh, send it down. Let's put a question mark after it. Uh, Final Fantasy III. Sorry, I'll, I'll... Okay. Yeah, um, oh, sorry, I'll finish the question off. Repeat the question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the tyrant king of the Fomorians, supernatural, supernatural, inspired the name of which enemies found in the Saranoia catacombs of Final Fantasy uh, Chocobo. Uh, no. Um, I feel like I do know the king of the the name of the king of the Florians. Like it's in my brain somewhere, but I can't can't think of it. So, um, it is Baylor. Damn, Baylor. All right, so it's one one. Uh, yes. Uh, so finally, um, for David Wolf, this is a this is a tiebreaker now. Okay. According to the according to the Fenian cycle of Celtic mythology, which is the best Final Fantasy game? What? Uh, quest. That is incorrect, David Wolf. Um. Which is the best Final Fantasy game? Am I just trying to guess which you think is the best Final Fantasy game? Or which... What? I cannot elaborate on the question, David. Mm, okay. I'm going to say Final Fantasy 6. That is incorrect. The answer is Final Fantasy 9. Damn it! Final Fantasy 9 is the best game. They should remake that instead. No. That's fair. Final Fantasy 8. So it, it is a draw. I do not have any more questions to break this draw. So we'll have to uh, break this draw in another edition of Lion vs. Wolf. All right. Well, well um, played. <laughs> if you if you have not played Final Fantasy IX, you should play it because uh, the next one is going to be all about that game. Oh my. Okay. Well, until next next time on the Final Fantasy IX podcast. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.